0: Welcome to 28 and Searching. I'm your host, Samantha, and today I have Tamara Michelson on with me. Thanks for coming on my show, Tamara.
1: Glad to be here.
0: So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you currently residing? How old are you? How many years have you been in your industry? That sort of thing.
1: Okay, I'm, I'm currently residing in North Seattle in Washington State. I turned 50 last April. How okay. did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> and I've been... I've been doing jewelry for uh, 20 mumbly something years, but I've only been doing it as a business since 2010.
0: Okay. That's actually still a pretty long time. I mean, that's a good, that's going to be going on eight years here
1: again. How did this happen?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, what exactly is your job title and what does it mean that you do?
1: Well, um, I identify myself as a self-employed jewelry artist I'm the owner and sole proprietor of TM Originals Jewelry.
0: Okay. And so you make the jewelry, sell the jewelry, you do you run the whole th- the whole show.
1: I I run the whole thing and there's only one of me. So <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes it can be, you know, a little hard to, you know, keep up with everything.
0: Sure. And if people are looking for you, where can they find you?
1: Um, on the web, you can find me at com. Okay, very cool. I have a theoretical Etsy site as well, but there's nothing listed because of the aforementioned problem of there's one of me, okay. and I do two to four <laughs> shows a month.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Okay.
1: So In general. I mean, this is a slow time of the year, but. Um,
0: okay. And so how. around, it
1: be- gets really busy. How Sorry. You,
0: no, that's okay. How did you get into jewelry?
1: Um, when I first started making jewelry, it was beaded jewelry, and part of that is because um, I'm a non-standard sized person, okay. and so jewelry off the rack just didn't fit me. Jewelry. I have a a wide neck, and you know, <laughs> so and beads offered a lot of a wide variety of color, and I would. Do bead work and a little pendant and stuff and um, and I did that for many years and then I you know somewhere along the line about I don't know nine or ten years ago my inner eight-year-old said I'm bored because I've been doing variations <laughs> on the same beading theme for years mm-hmm. so I started taking classes on other things um, bead weaving which is another, um, another process, beaded embroidery. I and then I started taking. I was curious about ice resin um, because you could use pictures and objects and everything with it. Okay. And and then a friend was like, "You should come and help me or show your stuff at this this show that's being built, and it's called SteamCon, and it's a steampunk convention." And I'm like, "Well, um, I but." I do beadwork. How does this work? <laughs> so I started doing the bead weaving around watch faces, kind of blinging them up, if you will. And, and then as I got more into the watch parts, I decided, you know, well, there's so many cool parts. There's got to be more that I can use. And also I need to make them in a way that they won't get tangled in my hair because yeah. <laughs> I have really find hair and that's a thing. Yeah, and yeah. so I started playing with the the ice resin with it, and somewhere along in there, I decided that, you know, I I was working as a software tester when all this started, and the bottom kind of fell out in 2008, and I was having trouble finding another job, so I finally decided to roll the dice and cash out my 401k, and and I paid for as many quarters as I could at Seattle Central or Seattle North Seattle Community College. Let me repeat that. (laughs)
0: Okay.
1: So I took three quarters of the jewelry design classes at North Seattle Community College until my money ran out. And in that was included some drawing classes and 2D and 3D design classes. And that really took my jewelry making up to the next level. And the drawing class was important because I had these ideas, but I couldn't sketch them out. Yeah. And (laughs) it's kind of important, especially if you're working with somebody on a collaborative thing, to be able to at least do a rough sketch. You know, the 2D and the 3D design made me start looking at what I was doing differently. And I started working in layers in the ice resin. And that's my primary focus right now. But then I'm also now doing, uh, custom or unique enamel designs, glass enamel with my, uh, my own sketches.
0: Okay. That's pretty cool. So when you're looking at, um going into this. So somebody, you know, say they like making jewelry at home. You talked about going to school. Do you think having training or getting some sort of degree or certificate or some sort of schooling is beneficial in your industry?
1: Training is certainly beneficial. People have gone into jewelry without it, but it helps to have a basis for for making jewelry. But you don't need a degree for it. In fact that's how I consoled myself. I could only I could only afford half the program at North Seattle, but I'm like, well nobody's gonna ask me for a certificate to to buy my jewelry. <laughs> so, yeah. The the only problem with jewelry is that there are you'll you be a, a jeweler in a sea of jewelers out in the world and on Etsy or wherever you want to sell. So it's really hard you have to figure out how to distinguish yourself from everybody else out there. And, you know, if you just learn to make jewelry and then you go and meet, you get excited about it and you go to immediately post it, I can guarantee that chances are 99.9% sure that you're going to be posting pictures of things that people will see all the time and they find it too accessible. And that was a hard conversation I had to have with myself when I was doing the beadwork is, yeah. I wasn't selling very much. And so, you know, even though I thought it was very cool and I thought I was doing something different with it, people didn't want to pay for it because perception is a thing when it comes to jewelry. And if people perceive that it's cheap, regardless of that's true, you know, then you you can't really sell it. And so, you know, that's part of what drove me to, to start experimenting with other things. It's like, You know, I'm not if I'm going to try and do this as a business, then I really need to rethink this and figure out what works. And it was doing the steampunk stuff, starting to work on that, that that helped, actually, because uh, I took my new newly minted steampunk stuff. I didn't get into the steampunk festival, you know, into their art show that year. I was too late. But Mm -hmm. I later took it to a local sci fi convention, NorwestCon where I had been putting jewelry in the art show just as a, you know, kind of a fun thing to do while I was attending the convention for, for some years. And so I had like, I think it was only 12 pieces cause they were all beaded still at that time, but with bead weaving and crystals and bling and watch parts and, and I put it into the art show and, and it was funny cause that year for some reason, I think it was because I was in school. I couldn't really attend the convention too much. So I, set my stuff up in the art show and then, you know, friends would get back to me on if anything was being, being um, <laughs> bid upon. Yeah. And then Sunday I walked in to, to go pick it up. And I was floored because, you know, most of my display was gone. People wow. had bought it and I bought, I won a, an award, you know, best jewelry award for the convention. This had never happened before. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Okay. I'm onto something here, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, but the beadwork takes a whole lot of time. I still do it, but it's an occasional piece. It's more of a, for a, a statement piece, if you will. Sure. And I started working more with the resin and the, the, um, watch parts because it was easier to create designs. I could work in batches and, um, after the art classes, I started coming up with some compelling designs. Not everything worked out, though. And a lot of trial and error. There's trial and error. And, you know, the other hard lesson you have to learn is, you know, not every idea you're going to come up with is going to be popular. Yeah. And that's yeah. okay. And that's the big part of it. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> give yourself time for research and development. You know, I rushed some things out there and started making them without really testing the waters to see how popular they are. And so it's really funny. I would do some of the resin work in molds Mm -hmm. so that I could put color in the background or, you know, you you could see through the jewelry. And I thought that was really cool. But when it was just done in molds, people looked at it and they thought, well, it's plastic with watch parts. Mm. And technically that's true, but, (laughs) but it's, it's really cool. And, it, and the resin I use is a what they call a jeweler's grade resin. So it's really cl- crystal clear and it will stay that way. It's not your grandmother's resin. It's going <laughs> to crack and turn yellow. Yeah. And so, and the ironic thing is those pieces took me longer and more work to make because I had to, you know, once you get them out of the mold and you got to file them down and you got to drill a hole in them and, you know, either glue on a bale or drill it and wire wrap it and, so finally, I thought, why am I doing all this work? you know, yeah, when it it isn't being appreciated, and it's like, how about we just put that to the side for now, and maybe later on we can we can readdress that, but it's just not going, and at some point, it's like, why do I keep lending table space to something people aren't really valuing, and you know working in the metal bezels and then filling them with the watch parts and layers that people responded to you better. And so it's like, well, let's go with that. And yeah. sometimes that's when you have to stand back and say what's going on and let go of things if you need to. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And so if somebody wants to kind of get into jewelry, let's say they make jewelry for themselves like you were doing and they're considering making it a business what would be a good way for them to start something like that, to see if it's what they really want to pursue?
1: Um, I would recommend finding some local little craft shows. Okay. And, you know, that way you have something that you're preparing for and you've got to have a certain amount of stock and you go through the process of how am I going to display it, you know, and, and, you know, how am I going to price these things? How am I going to take the money and that will give you a good idea of, do you really want to do this a bunch?
0: <laughs> and is I, it pretty easy people... to find, like, craft shows and stuff for people to go into?
1: It, you know, it can depend on the area, but what I usually recommend to people now is, like, if if you're on Facebook, that there's, you know, makers markets, usually regional ones, too. You know, okay. artists markets or artist groups or makers groups or vendors groups that you can join and find out about local shows. You can, you know, search for some of them online. Um here in the Northwest, there was um there's somebody who creates these books called the um well they started out with the winter bazaar guide and they had them for Washington and Oregon. And now they have a spring and summer guide for shows too. And how that works is the shows contact them to get into this book, and then they they create their own books. and It's like twelve dollars a book. It's but it lasts for a couple of years. Wow. You know, and then and then every couple of years, I'll I'll get another one to see if you know some shows drop off. Some shows, you know, some new shows will end up in there. Yeah. And I found that that was more helpful at the time than just online looking of it. But, but now, and the other thing is, I talk to other vendors and if if you have a slow show one of the ways that you can make that better is you go and you talk to people and you make friends and you ask them how did they find out about this show and how they find out about other shows and you know make it as productive as you can
0: sure so a lot of networking goes into it
1: yeah yeah you know and you know another thing you want to do is if you locally have excuse me programs where they can there's a lot lot of times local programs that will help small business people learn how to do business like business classes Mm -hmm. here, here in Washington state um, there's a group called ventures nonprofit that help low-income small business people learn how to do business and become entrepreneurs. And so I ended up joining, you know, joining that group and well not group, but signing up for the program. And went through the BASIC program and then went through some advanced programs. And they have lots of helpful things like they had credit building loans available if you had bad credit. They had regular loans available if you just need to buy some equipment. And then they had the savings loan thing. and, And then, you know, business and marketing classes. And, you know, it's all, there's a lot of stuff to learn.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So basic accounting and business is a good thing to know before you go in, before you try and take a hobby into the workplace. And I found that a lot of the books online or not online, but books that, you know, I'm a breeder. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to make this a business. I'll go to the bookstore and find some books. And there was one I think called crafting your business. And I looked into it and you know, it had all these stories, mostly women and, but they weren't very helpful. They didn't talk about the nuts and bolts of getting a business off the ground. Yeah. (laughs) Just kind of like, well, I had this idea and then I started selling it and pretty soon I was able to, you know, do this full time. And it's like, well, that, that's great and all, but yeah, but how did you take those steps? You know, um, I I can tell you that by business class standards I did not get into this the right way but I don't know how many people actually do because it ended up being I wasn't finding a a software job or any other job
0: Sure.
1: And so I thought, well, you know, after two and a half years of that I was like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done interviewing. I can't, you know, my my self-esteem's getting beat up. I can't deal with this. And then I thought, well, maybe this is the universe telling me it's time to get serious about my art. Yeah. Because it had always been on the back burner and every time I had a full time job it it went on the back burner again. And so, so I started pursuing classes and and you know business courses. And you know, these books, when I got frustrated with them, I was really happy to find about find out about ventures that we could help you. But in, in other communities there's a lot lots of times groups that will help small business people um, through neighborhood associations or community centers, you know, the library can be a very big help. And, yeah. you know, Excellent. one day maybe I'll write a book on this because,
0: <laughs> there you because go. really,
1: you know, there's just not a lot out there in, in, in the way of books or manuals that really help and taking a class with other people and then having those people, Become part of your network and you can talk to them is really helpful because it's really hard.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: People are always like, Oh, you're so lucky you get to do what you love. And I'm (laughs) like, Well, yeah, but you really have to love it because you're going to, especially in the beginning, you're going to be working seven days a week. Yeah. And you're going to be working more hours than you ever did at that nine to five job. And no, you know, yeah. and you can set your own hours. There's good and bad parts. You know, the good part is you like, I'm a night owl. So in my left to my own devices, I get up around between eight and nine in the morning and I go to bed between midnight and one.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's in the afternoon to evening that I do my most productive work. And you know, that's just how I've been. I can, you know, I can kind of fake it when I'm at, a, you know, an office job. But yeah.
0: <laughs> but, it, it, but for this, you get to choose your own hours that work better for you.
1: Yeah, for the most part. You know, you have shows where, you, you know, you're going to have to be up early to pack in and, and do them. Um, yeah. I do both indoor and outdoor shows. It's great if you can get... And set up the date before, but sometimes you can't. Like yeah. outdoor shows in particular, I do a street fair, where you get there the first day. You get there like six, seven o'clock in the morning.
0: Oh wow!
1: And you're open until six, seven o'clock in the evening. And they was like, oh, you could stay open later if you want, because it's yeah. a street fair. But most of us give up about then.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little late. Long yeah. day.
1: It's a three-day show, and it was so funny. This one time, this this guy came up, and it was Friday. And I had elected, you only had to stay open until 6 as a vendor. Mm-hmm. And then it was optional. And I was there, and it was 7 o'clock. And this guy comes up, and he says, well, why are these other businesses closed? And they hadn't done a good job at the time on the website explaining that the vendor area was only open till 6. Yeah. And I said, well, you know. The vendor area is open till six or you can stay later if you want. I opted to stay open a little later. He's like, well, what, what? about people that work? <laughs> I'm like, um, you know, you gotta be politic, but I'm like, dude, I've been here for 12 hours already. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, and this goes on all weekend, but okay. you know, people kind of don't think about that. And that, that's a problem when you're a self-employed person, you have to deal with a lot of people's perception of what that means. Yeah. Sometimes there's this perception. I mean, if you're really fantastically successful, like say, Oh, Bill Gates who was self-employed at one point. Then people respect you. And you know, if you make a lot of money at it, it's, Oh, then you're great. But if you're someone who's, an average person and you're working at it. And right now you're kind of poor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, people look at you like somehow you're a slacker and which is ironic since you're usually working harder than you ever have in your life yeah. and more hours. And, you know, and so that's, that's another reason why it's good to build up a network of other small business people, because you can commiserate to each other. Cause you have these days where you think, gosh, I'm a failure. Yeah. Because I'm not rich. Well, you know, it takes time. And it takes a lot of effort. But I have, in a lot of ways, a lot less stress about certain things. And I don't have to worry about, like, stereotypes and, and you know, working with people that are passive aggressive. Yeah. You know, I'm my own boss.
0: <laughs> yeah. You get to kind of choose what you're, you know doing to some extent yeah
1: but it, it has made it difficult for me to get part-time jobs you know because sometimes I, I try and get a part-time job to help make the ends meet because it's a lot of pressure right now for for me and my price points my price points are generally 28 to um 60 for most stuff on my table That's a few true. things less a few things more That's not a huge price point so it's a lot of pressure on me. I have to sell a lot of things. And then, I you know, another thing people don't understand is, like, when you're selling at a show, you have paid to be there.
0: Oh, yeah. Yep.
1: Sometimes you have paid hundreds of dollars to be there. And then there's, like, shows like, oh, I'm doing Emerald City Comic Con next month.
0: Oh, cool. And you I'm paid going to thousands
1: of me. dollars to be there.
0: Yes. Yes, you do.
1: You know, at the booth I have is... More than $1,100. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth it, but that's a lot of money to put out at once. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, on top of that, it's like even when I pared down my bills, I live in Seattle. So I have a really fortunate rental place, which, which is not that expensive. And, you know, as soon as the landlord decides they want to sell the place or raise the rent to market value, I'm probably going to be out in, in the hinterlands of Everett or Olympia. Yeah. Because, because so it's so expensive, expensive here. Yeah. And so even paring down to basically rent the utility bills, my car insurance, you know, I have to travel the shows in car. So yeah. <laughs> car insurance and roadside assistance are, are important things for you to have when you're a poor person. And mm-hmm. <laughs> or even in general. Yes. And then the phone because that's how I take my my payments so what got me into using a smartphone was the square Yep. the square doesn't cost anything after you buy the the reader you know I mean there's a small percentage taken out when you make sales but I can tell you, you know, some people are have never done business before they were like oh they take three percent I'm like oh you have no idea yeah. <laughs> you could even get a credit card company to talk to you about a credit card machine in the past. It, you know, sometimes you couldn't. Yeah. You know, you or you had to really fight for it. And then it was like you had a machine for the equipment rental, you had the, you know the the tape, the receipt tape, you had to buy, you had monthly fees and transaction fees. <laughs> and all these fees associated with it was so much more expensive. And so a friend of mine who's been making and selling jewelry for over 30 years now, they got rid of their credit card machines after they, you know, they heard my experiences with Square and they, they tried it out. They, they got rid of one machine. They had two and, and tried the Square and eventually they got rid of the other ones because it made a lot more sense.
0: Yeah. and went directly for the better option. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's important to have that because there are some shows depending on how flush people are feeling with money there's some shows i don't have any cash sales or very few
0: yeah yeah most people use cards i mean that's the way they go about it
1: yeah emerald city comic-con is is ironically one of the the places where i do take more cash sales because sometimes that's how people budget themselves through the weekend so they don't spend all their money in one or two days
0: yeah and so when you're talking about going to all these shows and doing all this stuff, and I mean, mm-hmm. you kind of have to do this in, in the type, you know, making jewelry and selling it. What, what kinds of personalities do you think would work well doing your career choice?
1: Um, Detail oriented would be good.
0: Okay.
1: And I think the, the qualities that made me a good software tester and business analyst lended themselves well to what i do i mean a lot of when i'm making the jewelry is very meticulous it's time consuming it's little teeny work and so being detail oriented is good but you don't want to be too rigid kind of like i have a setup that's very what i call fluid because some of the the shows i do are in bars and, you know, oh. you have a much smaller table space. Yeah. And then, you know, then you have tables, you know, comic cons where you may have a, a large space, a 10 by 10 or or an eight foot table at the very least. And And so I kind of, I can change my setup as needed, you know, and put out more or less product as needed. So being a little flexible. And also because shows never... Never always, you know, there's always something on the first day that's yeah. not running right. So it's good to be able to, to kind of roll with the punches and, you know, stay calm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, basic math should get you through most things, accounting-wise. I've been learning QuickBooks. <laughs> and I've, you know, I've gotten better every year. It's like every year I'll do a little better.
0: <laughs> yeah, so um, being able to learn to keep growing.
1: Yeah. And if you're really wanting to do this as a business, then you need to get separate business accounts because it makes it makes it much easier to keep track of the books. Yes. It's much cleaner. Yes. And I have a credit union, so you know, it was easy to just open up another account. And and it didn't really cost me anything cuz credit union credit unions are awesome.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes, I would agree. And so because one
1: thing like if you're in a state like Washington you have to pay sales tax yes and the the state is really not very um, patient about if you're late paying it because from their point of view sales tax tax is not your money it's their money you're just holding on to it and with a, a business my size they only they generally they tell you when you get to pay and mm-hmm. it's once a year. You know, I I'm, I may check in to seeing if I can pay it quarterly, because that would be a little easier.
0: Yeah.
1: But so I have a separate sales or savings account to keep the sales tax money. And I refer to it as my untouchable account.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Because, which is not to say I haven't had to roll the dice and touch it for <laughs> Yeah. But I'm always aware that I have to pay that back. And. So one of the nice features of square is I can always do a check. Okay. You know, my sales from the beginning of the year up to this point and how much sales tax do I owe? Okay. How far in debt am I to my sales tax? savings? <laughs> <yet>? <laughs> and then put the money back when I'm feeling more flush because of course the taxes due during the slowest part of the year, you have to pay it by the end of January. And January through April is kind of my slow season.
0: Mm. Okay. So. Okay. And so what is the one personality trait you think that would be the absolute worst? Like if somebody has this trait, don't sell jewelry. Don't make your own jewelry. Stay away from this business
1: entirely. If you're antisocial, mm. you should probably not be selling Something like jewelry. You know, I'm an introvert, but I can fake it as I need to for shows. <laughs> and I know that after the show, for another day or so, I, I need to, you know, you know, let myself have a day off, relax, kind of, not do a whole lot of work, or at least not deal with people. Sure. Uh, customer service would... Being a good customer service person is going to work in your favor. And there's some things that you can learn. Like, I was never consider myself a good salesperson and then one year because it can be easy to find help for emerald city comic-con it's like hey i have a pass if you come help me at my booth yeah you can, you can run to the a, con a lot, you yeah. know yep and you know but you need to spell me for the bathroom and bring me coffee and, <laughs> but i'll pay for their coffee and, you know but yeah. so one year i did that in my um roommate's son helped me out and he was excellent at talking to people in a non-used car salesman way he was engaging but not you know creepy yeah (laughs) and so you know at one point I'm like I'm just gonna sit back here and pack up things for you and I just watched him as I you know yeah as he was selling things I mean so you can take classes on on learning to talk about your business and being able to talk to people and sell them. But if you really don't like people, probably not the business for you because jewelry in particular, people like to purchase more in person. Yeah. I sell way better at shows than I ever have anywhere else.
0: Because it feels personalized, right? It feels like
1: something special. Right. Right. It's personalized. It's special. People can look at it and see how it looks and, you know, and they really understand, they can really see the size, how it, how it appears on them.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. That too. Cause you know, jewelry's such an individual thing, you know, sizing, like even just the size of the item. Like if you buy earrings, you don't, you know, some people like them very large, some people don't. So yeah, I, I could absolutely see that being the case.
1: And I would warn, you know, if you're really, really OCD might not want to Sell this for a living because I mean, people will come up to your table, and I want them to touch my stuff because that's how you know.
0: Yeah, you sell they it. You get a yeah.
1: relationship with it, you know, and that's they they try it on, they look at it close, and all that, and that's important. But it also means that <laughs> that you know you get a crowd of people through, and you you gotta tidy up your your table a bit. You can get really messy. Mm, I, yes. And. And there's a fine line between you don't want to be overly tidy so that people feel like they can't touch things, but you don't, you know, but you want to make it so it's not a snarled mess of a table.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, who wants to look
1: inviting too.
0: Presentable, but inviting. Right. right. Okay, fine line.
1: Approachable. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so, what has been the worst day of your career so far?
1: Yeah, you know, I was trying to think about that. <laughs> um you know, it it's a little hard to say. You have your ups and downs, but um something that hit me really hard last year is so in 2016, I had these two outdoor shows in West Seattle. And one of them, the Alki Arts Fair, I uh I had the best year ever. Oh, You know, it had been kind of a, you know, it was a pretty good show, but not a spectacular show. And then 2016, it was a great show. I sold a lot of things and I was feeling really happy and confident. And then last year, last year, that was a shaky year for a lot of the year. Sales are really up and down. People were feeling really uncertain about money and what was going to happen. Like with insurance, every time they talk about insurance in the in the news, it's like, oh god, <laughs> are my sales gonna tank this? You know, yeah. at this show this weekend, and and what happened is that year at that particular show, it was the worst, you know, showing I did. I I only made very little over the booth fee over oh, my expenses, no. and it's weird because when people are feeling shaky about money, they'll buy home items, but they they don't like to buy personal items. Yeah. So unless they're buying for a gift for somebody, you know, they, they might not buy it. So next to me on either side, next to me, there was these people selling um, these, they were nice. They're handmade wind chimes. They were $65 and they were selling them hand over fist. So it's not that people didn't have money, but you know, and on the other side of me, (laughs) this is what killed me. Um, she made a lot of nice bags and stuff, but she also had these Kleenex box, um, covers.
0: Okay.
1: I'm like, wow, those are still a thing. And, she, <laughs> and they were shaped like couches and armchairs and, you know, sports team fabrics and whatnot. And I'm like, really?
0: And she sold a bunch? <laughs> yep. Oh. Was selling
1: them all over the place. And I'm like, <laughs> and it felt like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on? This art
0: thing a little bit.
1: Yeah, it makes you feel like you know, and and I've had this moment of thinking, what kind of idiot decides to sell art jewelry? Because there's a thing between you make jewelry and then you make art. That's work you know that's jewelry. Because everything I do is handmade specifically. I use a lot of recycled watch parts and found objects and computer parts in my my work. So there's not anything easily repeatable really
0: yeah
1: I mean variations on a theme certainly you know gears are always popular sure but you know but I can't farm it out to somebody you know like sometimes like jewelry makers they'll come up with a design that they can you know then have made in bulk somewhere else yeah and then sell them yep but when you're a jewelry artist you're not doing that and so it makes it hard to wholesale things
0: yeah and so, if you take, you know, this disheartening thing that happened, what is on the other side of it? What is the best day of your career and your journey on this so far?
1: Um, it was actually, you know, out of a uh, big surprise. Um, well, two days. I got I got to say two days. Sure. Because a couple years ago, um, I I subscribe to various lists for calls for entry for art shows and whatnot. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so this, you know, I saw this call for, for artists come through my email box and it was my email box, (laughs) 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 my email. (laughs) And it was for the Bellevue arts museum and they were having this biannual show and, you know, and, and it was for metal jewelry made in metal That sort of thing. And I emailed them and I said, so, you know, I saw this call for entry and you said that you could, you could push the boundaries of what, of what your theme meant and working with metal and stuff. And, you know, here's some pictures of what I do with, you know, recycled pocket watches and watch parts. And do you think that this would be, you know, appropriate for me to apply to to your show? And I got back this reply that was kind of like, well, yeah, that's why we invited you. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I did not realize that was a personal invitation. You thought it and was just, most, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was one of those call for entry things that, you know, just the list, sending it, you know, to everybody Everyone on that list. It,
0: yeah.
1: And I was like, wow, someone at Bellevue Arts Museum knows my work. Yeah, and, that's you know, pretty cool. You know, and the way these go, I I didn't get into the show because there's only there was only like 40 spaces for the 300 people that were invited to apply. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, but that was a really big high, you know, that somebody, a, you know, an arts museum knew my work. I was, I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And then late last year, I had one of my holiday shows was eh, not so great, but you know, Again, with the networking, and somebody picked up my card and they said, Oh, hey, I know somebody who works at Recology and buys for their stores, and I'm going to give them your card. I think you'd be a good fit. And I'm like, Okay, great. And, you know, that doesn't happen a lot, but also a lot of times when people say, Oh, I'll get back to you. And it's like, Awesome. And if they do, it's great, but you don't count on it. Yeah. And they did get back to me and they placed this wholesale order. Wow. And, And it was like, Sorry, bobble the phone. That's okay. So this wholesale order was for 72 necklaces and 24 pairs of earrings.
0: Wow. You know,
1: I had made up a a kind of a line sheet, a beginning line sheet for them to look at. And they were like, we like 12 of these and 12 of those. And, you know, and I was like, oh, my God, that's great. Oh, my God. Now I have to make it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is why I haven't done any, like, the local wholesale shows is because... Right now, with one of me, you know, I don't think I could handle several orders coming in like that.
0: Yeah, that was so.
1: So that was a but that was a big deal, and they have not one store but like five stores around the area that they were stocking for. So, so that was a big high.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. That's I mean, that's that's a great thing, especially for somebody who's doing you know custom jewelry.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, you know, the line sheets, it's like I had, to, you, what a line sheet is, it's, think of it like a catalog. Yeah,
0: yep.
1: Um But for wholesalers, so you show them pictures that generally, for me, it's like, these are my general designs, but they're going to vary. And, you know, not necessarily a lot of companies like that, if they can't say, it's exactly going to be this. Yeah. But some do. And... So it's pictures, it's descriptions, and I didn't have, like, I don't necessarily have pictures of every single thing in every single color, you know, but, but, you know, I put in there what the wholesale price would be, which is basically half the price I would sell it for, and, you know, and then tell them it's going to take several weeks for me to to do this.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) You know, but. January is a great time to do that because like I said, I don't usually have a lot of shows this time of year. So, yeah. So that was good.
0: And so are there any other, um, expansion plans or things you've got going on in the future with your business?
1: I am looking so about I, hmm, not quite two years ago, I got, I've taken the metalsmithing classes and I've started to work some of that into my line, but you know, it's the minority right now because I don't think my landlord would appreciate me soldering with a torch <laughs> in, the, in the living room. So, yeah. so I volunteer at North Seattle community college to be what they call a lab monitor, which allows students to go in and use the jewelry lab outside of class hours to work on their projects. Oh, okay. And, and the, you know, the bonus I get for, for being there, volunteering my time is that I can use the the equipment there. And so with that in mind, and I bought this set of Thompson glass enamel and it was a sampler set. So it had all these colors, like 180 or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and decided I wanted to try enameling. With you know, taking my drawings and making them into a piece, and and then putting this glass enamel on them, and of course it means using a kiln, yeah, and (laughs) fusing it on at like fifteen hundred degrees. So you know, that's what I would use at the school. And a friend of mine jumped up and down. She says, "Oh, can you? My boyfriend really loves ocean sunfish. Can you make one?" And I'm like, "Sure, let me Google that." (laughs) I, I had no idea what they look like. Yeah, and so from pictures. I drew up, you know, several sketches of different looking sunfish that I found. And then we met up and she, she chose the one she wanted. And so how I make my enamel pieces is I draw the art and I scan it into my computer. So then I can play around with the sizing because it's a lot easier to draw large than small mm-hmm. and get more detail in there. And so then I print out you know, when I played with the sizes, I print them out, cut them, cut them out, and glue them onto the metal sheet, and then I hand cut them, the designs out with a jeweler saw, wow. and file them and shape them, and then the final part is to, is to fuse the enamel on, in wow. layers. And so, I've been working on that line, and I I got I really like sea creatures, so. I've been working on trying to get into the Seattle Aquarium's gift shop, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's a process. Um, they put very me cool off a couple expanses, times.
0: though. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. hey,
1: goals. Yeah, it's it's a long-term thing. Is is you know, it's like, but I thought, well, I kind of kind of think out of the outside of the box a little bit about where do I want to sell my jewelry. You know, my jewelry isn't something that I'm going to sell. At a big box store. Yeah. Necessarily. Okay. It's, but gift shops might be the better idea. Sure. and Or, you know, small stores like Recology where there's a, you know, half dozen of them. And I would like to eventually get more of those so that I can transition from not doing two to four shows a month. A couple of shows, you know, a yeah. month. You know, just so I can do fewer shows. I like to sell my jewelry in person and it, I think it sells better in a lot of ways, but it's, it's hard. You know, I, I had a holiday season where I did, you know, 11 shows between November and mid-December. Wow. <laughs> and, and yeah, this, this year, again, I had like seven shows in three weeks. Yeah. That's and still... that, you know, that's the holiday season thing, yeah. but still. <laughs> it's a lot of it, shows. Yeah. And, okay. you know, depending on how the calendar goes, like in the summer, I, it's not uncommon for me to have back-to-back weekend shows and they're outdoor set up. So I have to have the tent and all the weights and everything. <laughs> and, and I have this little Honda Fit is my car. <laughs> so I have this funny story a couple of years ago at the Alki Arts Festival, you know, as we we're tearing down and what you do is you got to tear everything down and get it ready and packed and then you go get your car and you drive it down to to pack up the car because it's, there's limited space, mm-hmm. you know, where you, where you can pull in. And these guys, a couple tents down from me, they they see my car. They look at my car. They look at the pile on the grass and they look at my car and they're like, you're going to fit all that in there? And I'm like, watch me. I have <laughs> messed Tetris skills. And, you know, I can't see out the back of my car by the time I'm done, but I can get it all in there you know and that's like three tables my chair all of my stock you know my display items and the tent and the weights and the sidewalls and so yeah it's a stuffed car when we're done but it works
0: yeah i mean that's that's pretty crazy like that's a fairly small vehicle but as long as it gets it done i guess that's all that matters
1: Yeah, I call it my little car of holding. You can fit a surprising amount in here and still find places to park in Seattle relatively easily. (laughs) That's an important thing.
0: Yeah, that's the most important part of that whole story there. (laughs) Okay, so we've kind of gone through, um, you know, what it means to own a jewelry business and kind of what you've gone through and, you know, how you get started and what you kind of need to know to at least, you know, show an interest in what you're doing. So I just have a Mm -hmm. few more questions for you. Okay. What did you want to be when you were a kid?
1: You know, I didn't have this driving idea. Uh, you <laughs> know, some people are like, when I was five years old, I knew I wanted to be a nurse or a firefighter or whatever. And I, I'm like, if I had any ideas, they were completely impractical. I was unfortunate enough that we had a family horse mm-hmm. and an a inexpensive place to keep her. So, you know, I'm sure at some point I wanted to be a cowboy. Of course, (laughs) of course. Um, My mom encouraged me in arts and crafts and music. And, you know, at some point when the college started coming up there, I'm like, well, maybe I could take music. And she's like, no, (laughs) that's impractical. (laughs) You know, that's what you do as a hobby. And so, you know, I was raised to think, you know, arts and crafts and music, thats stuff you do as a hobby. Well, now it's not. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so, um, but when I was, you know, grasping around with what do I do now, you know, I'm not finding work. It's jewelry has something I've always gone back to for a number of years. I just really like to do it and all the, the work that the little meticulous things you do to make it that would drive a lot of people crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I really like doing that. And yeah. so. You know, and I always thought it was kind of ridiculous, though, that when you're in, high, you know, in high school and they're like, decide what you're going to be for the rest of your life by the time <laughs> you're eighteen.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'm like, what? How? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> really good advice I heard someone give, and I, I give to other people now, is like, when you're going to school, it's like, how about you spend the first couple of years getting all your basic classes done, the, the stuff you have to take, and then maybe figure out along the way what what things interest you as a career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so would you... And change... then expect
1: that you're going to change it three or four times in your life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so what is the best piece of business advice you've ever received?
1: Uh, business advice? Um. Now I go blank. <laughs> <laughs> There's been so much. Well, one of the things is like I tend to be a little perfectionist. And you know, I've gotten better over the years, but mm-hmm. you know, I you know, people have to sit me down. It's like you can't put on yourself that you're going to do everything right all at once that you can do all the things right away so that's why when i say quickbooks i get better every year it's you know allowing for myself that i'm not going to be perfect but i'm going to try and get better every year yeah and and it's you know kind of the same with the shows and things you're making um one of the pieces of advice i would give people if they're making art of any sort is if you're deciding to do it for a business, still remember that it's okay. That, that not everything makes money, <laughs> you know, not everything you do has to make money. You know, um, I know in this, in our society, particularly for women, when they do arts and crafts, people kind of expect that you're going to monetize that and that's ridiculous. You shouldn't have to. Um, yeah. Unless it's something you really want to do. If you if this is not something you really want to do, then don't try and make a business of it just because somebody else says you should. You know? Yeah. <laughs> because everybody else has ideas about what you should do. Oh, yeah, so this is the other piece of advice. is like, you know, do what you want to do. Go with your gut. Even if people say, oh, I don't know if there's a market for that. Well, there is. It might take you a little time to find it. But when I have tried to do stuff that was, like, a you should thing, you know, rather than something I was really interested in, um, it didn't go well. <laughs> you know, it's like people can tell your heart's not really in it. Yeah. Or there might be other reasons. Like, I was doing cameos in resin. And I was trying, you know, well, I could do all these colors and I can make them in black, you know, and, and glow in the dark and whatnot. But when push comes to shove, the clay ones you can find on Etsy for three dollars—that's what people are going to spend. They don't—they don't care that much about all the colors and all the, you know, glow in the dark. Sure. And so it became this thing. You know, and I, I just kept doing it for a while. And I'm like, why are you doing this? <laughs> why are you filling your table with stuff that's not even really about your art? It's somebody else's cameo that you're, you know. So my advice is do what really speaks to you as an artist and then work at finding your audience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's great advice and I, I love what you're doing and I I wish you all of luck. Thank you for coming on my show today.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. It was, you know, a pleasure to talk with you and it's, I hope that this helps somebody else follow their dreams.
0: If you like this episode or you're looking to change your career, go to 28andsearching.com or become a patron to get exclusive content sent directly to you. See you next week.